From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 1063. And we are presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA Sport. It's a big teddy takeover here on Ken LaVica Live. It's Theo Dorsey at Theo Dorsey TV. I'm joined by Jeanette Javier and Stone Lebanowitz. We got game six of the NBA Finals tomorrow night at TD Garden. Nine o'clock tip, which really means like 9.30, it feels like every single. Like, why are we starting these finals games uh, past kids' bedtimes? Don't we want people to be able to watch these damn things? I mean, it's a tough spot to be put in, but I don't oh, need no sleep. Wouldn't it I don't be need no sleep. to a parent's advantage, too, to put the kid to bed first and then watch the finals without you, having any kids? That's a good call. No, but, like, then you can't really enjoy You can't be as loud. You can't be as boisterous. Like, when Steph hits his 10th three-pointer, like you said he would. Yes, like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I like to – so, like, when I'm watching these games, especially in the playoffs for basketball, like, when insane things happen, I have to make laps around the house. I have I, to make laps around the I house. I am a big lap taker as well. Yes. Like, how can you sit still? It's almost like it's this funny thing that people say. Um, they say that uh, – I saw it on TikTok the other day. They were like, um, why is it that when black people hear something funny, they can't stand still? <laughs> they take off running in the opposite yeah. directions. Like, And that's a real thing. Like, if somebody says something hilarious, I have to run off just to regain my sensibilities about everything. And in an NBA game or even NFL, if somebody does something ridiculous, I have to get out of my seat and also be a bit ridiculous. You got to match the energy. Yeah, I'm a lap taker as well, and I also find myself getting physical with other people. If, if Steph Curry hits like, eight, <laughs> oh, are you like, like grab him by the shoulder yes, or something, I, I do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, if yeah. somebody's sitting next to me, it's a nice chest slap. Yes. It's like, a, did you see that? And I know damn well they saw it. I mean, they're watching right. the same TV I am, but I get physical with people like, no way, and you give them a hard punch. You do the same thing. It makes same it thing. makes it more fun. So, Jeanette, what what is your? Do you get physical? Or are you a runner? What it's, do you do? It's bottoms up. Steph hits number nine and everyone's she's drinking. And she's just, drink. just drinking. <laughs> I, I'm the one liner. Like I don't unless it's my team. Like if it's, if I will geek out. Like watching what watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers makes me a completely different person right. than watching the finals right now. Like with the finals right now, since I have no stake in the game, mine is counting ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Against Curry. I'm like, nice, and then take a nice chunk out of my chicken wing. I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Booyah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm the one-liner. Game seven, FTX Arena, Jimmy Butler with, what, 15 seconds left. If he hits that three from oh. the right wing, I think I wouldn't have came back home. I think I would have left my house <laughs> and ran. I've done this before where I leave the house and, like, get outside and do and run. I've done that before. You have to continue. It just When it gets ridiculous, you have to match that energy. And I think if Jimmy Butler hits that game to send the Miami Heat to the finals, I think I would have left the house and I would have been a missing person. I would have been gone. You wouldn't have been able to see me again. So when, when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I, for the second half of that full game, I was not sitting down. Yeah. I was standing up you the entire time and just walking and pacing in circles. Yeah. Because you're talking about matching that energy or that excitement. There is no way you can get me to sit down and be still watching my team win a ring. Now yeah. that, that's us young bucks. And I'm sitting here trying to think, you know, what do our parents do? What do older people do? And the only thing that's coming to my head is a head nod or a, dan- or, <laughs> a or head a, nod. Like a, ooh, nice. Like Steph Curry has 8-3. And oh, maybe you get a, damn, he's good. Or, he, <laughs> or he's really good. But I'm trying to think of what older people do if we're running around the house and running around no. the neighborhood and whatever. I what wonder, is, so my what is stepdad. My stepdad's like, did you watch that, baby? Yeah. <laughs> 
did you see that? Yeah. He goes, I've been watching the whole time. He's like, let's play it again. And he'll <laughs> then there's the move. There's the move, too, where you put your, you extend your arm out in front of somebody's chest almost yes. to hold them back after something happens, like as if as if we're on a roller coaster ride, they might lean too far forward. I love that move, too, because it almost puts that Great person one. in a sense of, oh, no. Like, <laughs> is he going to make it? Yeah. Like, what, what, is your, what is your go-to move here when you're watching a game and somebody goes ballistic, which is what we kind of expect Stephen Curry to do tomorrow night in TD Garden for Game 6. Uh, I predicted five three-pointers made, Stone predicted seven, and Jeanette predicted twice my amount, ten three-pointers made, which would set all kinds of records if the Warriors clinched that game. That'd be great. Jeanette, the smarter way to go would be below us, I think. If this is the price is right, yeah. you would want to be like four. Those rules weren't established beforehand. So would you like to change your answer? No. You're rocking with 10. <laughs> I'm rocking with 10. So Probably an NBA Finals game uh, record, I, I, I would think. So, I would think as let's well. Let's get it. Yeah. Let's go. What would you do if he Watching hits nine? Watching you, Curry. What if he stops at nine? Who wins if he stops at nine? I think Jeanette should win if he gets anything over seven at this point because betting 10 is an incredible, incredible way to go about things there. NBA Finals, Game 6 tomorrow night, Dynasties or Parody, what do you like the most? And I'm a big fan of it. Also, what's your go-to move when you're watching a game and somebody does something ballistic? So we have Ernesto coming on the line here, a, a guy that I love hearing for. And I know Ernesto packs the energy because he brings it every single time he calls in here on Ken Levick Alive. Ernesto, you're here on Ken Levick Alive. When Steph Curry makes his 10th three-pointer, um, tomorrow night in game six. What's your go-to move as he goes ballistic? Fishbowl, baby! Fishbowl, baby! <laughs> um, I'm going to say, well, I, I'm, I don't have no, I have no takers in, the, in, in these finals. As you know, I'm a Knicks fan. So, Sorry about but, that, by the way. Uh, you know what? I, I will say, I will go with what Jeanette is actually feeling. I'm thinking he's going to go berserk because yes. I think his 0 for 9 He's not repeating that, and he's going to go berserk. Uh, Stone, go. I think the numbers are the, the, the numbers are that he goes berserk. I don't have him in front of me, but I think from record that I can recall, he goes bananas when he has a bad game. So she's saying about ten. Uh-oh. Yeah, Let's you know go. what? I, I'm, feeling that. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that nine to ten shot. You know on. what? You know what? I, I, you know what? I'll take her shot. <laughs> You know what? I'll I'll go. I'll You'll take great on this. I'll take the drink for her. Since she ain't drinking, I'll take the drink for <laughs> yes! her. I'm good. I'll back it up. All right. <laughs> and 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 uh, yeah, because I, I think he's gonna go berserk. I think he's gonna go bananas because he did have a really off game, and they still won the game. That's why I told you, Boston is that makes statistically you can't even go on this in the series because it makes no sense how he went over nine. Got twenty from it from 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 on Clay, and yeah. they still lost the game. Boston, listen, I, I, it's, it's that thing about yo. You know what's funny? Has anyone even heard anyone mention quarters? I haven't seen nobody haven't mentioning the quarter battle. Why all of a sudden, now that the Heat is not in it, the quarter discussion is not even mentioned? Wow, how that happened, bro. Because we, we know why. It's because they hate the Heat. They, the national media hates the Heat, and that's what Monica said. Thank you again, Ernesto. Ernesto taking the shot, falling on his sword for Jeanette Javier. Ernesto, always great. And if we're going to make sure if that happens, Ernesto, if you lose, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you call in. Uh, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, I guess it will be Friday here on Ken Levick Alive to take that drink or that shot before 
we get you here on air. We got to talk it out. Because and it's going to be two. Price. And it's going to be two. One from Theo and one oh, from Stone. Oh, that's true. So, Ernesto, you'll have to take two drinks on Friday if you're wrong. Um, and make sure you just call in here, 888-760-3776. NBA Finals Game 6 tomorrow night at TD Garden. The Golden State Warriors on the precipice of history. Not only winning the NBA championship if they win tomorrow night, but being able to clinch it on the road in a historic NBA arena and also becoming just the fourth franchise to ever win four championships in eight years. And to talk about what the Warriors are trying to do on this historic run, rebring in C.J. Holmes, uh, the beat writer for the Warriors, been covering them all season for the San Francisco Chronicle. He's on Twitter at C.J. Holmes 22. C.J., my guy, first and foremost, my like. So when you go and cover a beat, is it just like championship season? Like, what 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 is it? Do you have the magic touch or something, dude? Weren't <laughs> Yo, you just on God, the Suns first, beat? <laughs> hey, first and foremost, good to hear from you, brother. Second of all, I mean, I don't know if I got the magic touch like that, man. I mean, it's usually when I leave a beat that's when a team gets good. For example, <laughs> cover the Suns for a year. Left the Suns beat. Suns got good, right? Covered U of A uh, basketball for a year. They were pretty mediocre that year. I leave. They're one of the best teams in the country last year in golf, college basketball. Uh, uh, the, the, the women go to the title game. Uh, Villanova last year, right? I leave the Villanova beat. They go to the Final Four. So it's usually it's, it's, usually it's uh, when I leave kind of thing. That's when teams decide to step up. And it was funny because when I actually first got on the Warriors beat, people thought I was a curse. Because everyone kept getting hurt, and, you know, everyone kept getting hurt, and they're going all these losing streaks. And they're like, we were good until you got here. But uh, everything seems to, uh, ha- seems to have stabled out a little bit, and now these dudes are one win away from a championship. You're in Boston right now, right? Currently, where are you at? The hotel? Correct. Uh, what is it? I saw you change your – um, and I saw Steph Curry with the shirt after game five, um, and, and the Aisha Curry can cook thing. Um, Stone, Jeanette, I'm not sure if y'all saw this as well, but CJ, mm-hmm. please explain to us what the hell that means and why he wore that shirt. Like, what's going on out here in these finals? All right, so I don't remember if it was ahead of game three or game four, but uh, Dalton uh, Johnson of NBC Sports Bay Area um, was out and about in Boston and saw a picture outside of a bar. Not, not a picture, but, you know, one of those chalkboards outside of a bar that said, Aisha Curry can't cook. And it's kind of been like a theme for Steph throughout these playoffs. For example, when I was in Dallas for the Western Conference Finals, um, I was out deep out on them and I saw a sign that said, um, you know, Steph Curry, you can go to hell. So um, <laughs> I tweeted that out and I guess it just like kind of became a thing. But, uh, you know, you, you know what happened next, right? Steph dropped 43, um, you know, let the crowd know he was here. And then, you know, I guess uh, – <laughs> He wanted to let the world know that, you know what, my wife can't cook. Back off. So. <laughs> She's got like a book and a show and everything. I mean, why are they hating on Aisha, man? Why are they bringing her back into the finals? Last time Aisha Curry was a uh, headline in the finals, it was um, more so about a conspiracy tweet. So I'm glad at least this is about the chefing it up, right? Hey, if you can't guard a man, right? If you can't guard a man, the fans start coming out of his life, man. It's just a, it's a rite of passage. Of course, of course. Uh, so, CJ, what do you see happening? I mean, game five was – just one of the more weird NBA Finals games I can remember watching. Not only Steph Curry going 0 for 9 from 3, not only Jason Tatum having a relatively good shooting performance, Klay Thompson had a decent game with 20 points, Andrew Wiggins with a double-double in the Finals. 
the Celtics made that push back and you thought maybe they would, you know, end up getting it. Like so many weird things happen, but at the end of the day, the Warriors close it out and now they're one game away from winning it all. What do you see happening now as the series moves to Boston, back to where the Celtics should feel comfortable, but they've been very vulnerable in these playoffs? Man, I don't know. I think for the most part in the finals, the Celtics have been pretty good at home, right? You know, they obviously beat the Warriors in Game 3. It took 43 points from Stephen Curry for them to escape in Game 4. And here's my thing. The Warriors have every single round in these playoffs, the Warriors have lost their first opportunity to close out a series. Um, they got... They got they faltered down the stretch against the Nuggets in the first round. Um, in the second round against Memphis, they got blown out in Game Five when they had a chance to uh, close out Memphis. They were down like fifty in that uh, one. Fifty-five. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, one of the worst losses I've seen in person ever. And then you have last round, um, you have a chance to sweep the Mavericks, and the Warriors can then get it done. Mavericks hit like twenty-three pointers, right? So. It's it's it, it. Although the Warriors have had success in TD Garden, when I think about how tough it is to play there in their recent playoff history. My gut is telling me they drop game six and we have a game seven on Sunday in San Francisco. But, you know, then again, if the Warriors come out and they play with the same energy and intensity that carried them to their game five win, if you don't count that third quarter, they should be just fine. But when the Warriors go on the road, it, it, the thing is you never know which Warriors are going to get. So it's, it's a toss-up, man. It's, it, it's a legitimate toss-up. CJ, we had Monica McNutt on earlier and asked her the same question. I want to ask it to you because you are a little closer to the inside of this team, so this may be hard for you to answer. But are you ready to take the title away from Clay as the second option on this team and give it to Andrew Wiggins, at least in this finals and at least with two games left to go? Do you Are we given that? Is he passing the torch to Andrew Wiggins and heading towards the finish line? You know, man, in these finals, in these finals specifically, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Andrew's got it done at both ends of the floor. And, you know, game five was the first time he's led the team in scoring and rebounding in the same game all season long. Yeah, he I mean, the dude's yeah. been phenomenal. And you can't, you know, you can't ignore Clay's inconsistencies, inconsistencies and struggles. But what's tonight? I think tonight's a game six, right? Tonight's a game six, which means you, we're probably going to get a certain kind of Clay Thompson tonight. So I don't want to, I don't want to rip, rip that away from him, you know, too soon because Clay is about due to go off for, you know, 30, 40 points one of these nights. Yeah, it is game um, six. You know, Clay. Especially if we, you know, it's game six Clay night. So, you know, as, as good as Andrew Wiggins has been, you know, I guess for now, yeah, you could say he's the second best player, but let's, let's see what happens tonight. I'm, I'm throw Hello, you, tomorrow night. I'll, I'll throw you a curveball here. I, I know uh, for, for those that don't know, C.J. Holmes, again, um, Warriors beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle covering this uh, magical historic run from the Golden State Warriors. Uh, former Auburn uh, basketball player for one, but also a member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Uh, I saw another white NFL player throwing up the hooks in Josh Allen. Have you seen the picture? And also, what are you guys as an organization uh, doing about all of these folks out here perpetrating on y'all? Hold on, hold on. We got Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills have out you, here throwing up the hook. Have you not seen the picture? You have to Google it. I might have to send it to you. I have, I have not seen the picture. You know, uh, <laughs> as an Omega man, we are flattered. You know, everybody wants to be us. But it's, it's members versus men, man. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, good for Josh. He wants to pledge. You know, I can I can find some I can find some, some bros in Buffalo that can get him started on his process. Is bros in Buffalo be worthy? <laughs> hey, there's bros everywhere. You know, we everywhere, Theo. Don't try it. Don't try 
I got you. I got you. Uh, back to these finals, man. For you um, covering these finals, especially now um, the NBA did get back to 2-2, 1-1-1. Does the travel at all eat away at yourself as a beat writer as people talk about that east to west coast trip? Or is it for you, you just like getting out there and being able to see some new uh, grounds there in Boston? Oh, I'm good. You see, you see, I have the innate ability to fall asleep on any flight, no matter how long it is. So, for, of the three six-hour flights I've taken um, in this series alone, I've slept on every single one of them. So, basically, just like taking a nap and waking up in a new place. So, you know, from that, you know, because of that ability, I will say that you know, the travel hasn't been too hard on me. But um, on the same token, I'll be glad when the series is over. Let's just say that. Well, I know a lot of Warriors fans, right, are, are hoping that the travel wasn't so bad on Steph Curry. He went 0 for 9 um, on, in Game 5. We here on Ken LaVica Live tried to do a little bit of a prediction here. So for myself, I predict that he's going to nail five three-pointers in Game 6. Stone Labanowicz predicts he's going to nail seven. And then Jeanette Javier, who I have right here to answer for her ridiculous claims, has Steph Curry hitting three or ten three-pointers mm-hmm. tomorrow night at TD Garden. <laughs> CJ is she ridiculous for thinking that the greatest shooter of all time bounces back from a 0 for 9 performance in game 5 to nail 10 three-pointers on the road in the finals? I mean, if we're keeping up the three, you know, the, the theme of extremes, you go from scoring 43 <laughs> points in the garden to missing all your three-pointers. I mean, why not? Why not? Exactly. I mean, if a guy like mm-hmm. why not if we're, if we're just sticking with extremes, but you know, I think I think the three to four range is probably more realistic. But then again, this is Stephen Curry, right? This is Stephen Curry. And I don't know if you guys see those pictures floating around on social media, Steph on the bench, but the dude's a madman, right? Yeah. The dude is insane. So I wouldn't put it past him, you know, a, prol- a prolific performance like that, you know, put a stamp on his final MVP award, um, which is all but his if the Warriors win the series. Uh, but I, I personally, I think the, you know, three to four, Range is better. What I'm expecting a lot from in, in Game 6 is obviously Clay Thompson. Now, I, had, I do have a question. You brought up the Finals MVP thing, which has been the narrative for the Warriors since they've really made the playoffs this year. Will Steph finally win that Finals MVP? It seems like because of Andrew Wiggins' emergence, there are people already ready. I'm not, I'm not on that bandwagon Don't season. Right? Maple Jordan. Yeah. Come on. But there's people already ready to take it away. Now, from you, you are not only watching these games – here, there at the arenas, but you're also covering it, and I'm sure you're you're rubbing elbows with the folks. Do you have an NBA Finals MVP vote, or or do you have? Let me know. I've voted for you know you know I'm still the new guy, but I voted for what Western Conference Finals MVP. I assume that I'll get a vote for um for Finals yeah. MVP, and if I do, it's Steph Curry, man. I mean, is there anything? You know, just look at the numbers. Is there anything <laughs> that could happen in Game Six? Let's just say the Warriors close it in six. Is there anything that could happen that would take it away from Steph Curry? That's my question. Andrew Wiggins has to go for fifty points in Game Six <laughs> and get a chase down block and get a chase down block on Jason Tatum for the game. That is the only way that um, someone other than Stephen Curry wins Finals MVP. I mean, you don't have to look further than the numbers. And one can make the argument that Wiggins was as effective as he was because although Steph didn't make a three-pointer, he was still efficient from two points on his two-point shots, and he was still he had like one of the best plus minuses on the team. And it, there's something about the way the Celtics were guarding the ball screens; they're being more aggressive, yes. um, and having their bigs, well, you know, get in Steph's face, and that created room for Wiggins to operate. 
So you can make the argument that Wiggins wouldn't have been as effective as he was in Game Five without Steph on the court, the presence and gravity of Steph and Curry. And that sounds like a Finals MVP to me. You, when you can still impact the game in ways other than scoring, still make your team made better, even though when you're, even when your shot's not falling. And I'm, I'm glad to address that. That was going to be my next question to you about the way that the Celtics changed up their coverages on Steph Curry, and, and you, you kind of nailed it there. They just changed it up, and it did prevent him from getting easier looks. Uh, so then I'll change up with my, my, my last question for you is, when's the last time you stepped out there on the basketball court, man? I, I haven't seen the Instagram videos of you hooping in a few years, and I want to make sure you're still in shape because I've still been poking at you for that. <laughs> Oh, man, the shape, the shape, we're slowly getting back. We're slowly getting <laughs> back. But, um, you know, I still I still get shots up. There's, there's always, always like, right now in Oakland, I'm, I get shots up over on the court in Chinatown. There's some guys running. You know, I'll jump in. Um, but we getting back. We getting back slowly but surely. And uh, I still try to get a ball in my hands um, at least a couple times a week. Got you. Before you go, prediction for game six tomorrow night in TD Garden. Do the, the Warriors close it out or do the Celtics uh, force game seven? I think we're going back to San Francisco for a game seven, buddy. I love a game seven in the NBA Finals. I love it. I love it. CJ Holmes for the San Francisco Chronicle covering those Warriors. will be there tomorrow night in TD Garden, and hopefully we'll see a game seven. I would love to see it. Thanks again for your time, CJ, and I'll catch you in Vegas as well. Thanks for having me. I'll see you in NBJ. Yes, sir. CJ Holmes again there, uh, San Francisco Chronicle. You can follow him at CJ Holmes 22 giving us the insight on what the Warriors' uh, outlook will be for tomorrow night, Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Again, on the precipice of history, these Golden State Warriors are. And it'll be interesting also to see what that bounce-back game is like for Stephen Curry because this isn't just a year where he's trying to win a championship. He's trying to cement his legacy even furthermore, not just the greatest shooter of all time, but potentially a top-10 player of all time. Interesting stuff right there. Uh, for Stone LeBanowicz, Jeanette Javier, I'm Theo Dorsey. We got some PGA talk on the way. Are they getting – are people just hating on people trying to get to the bread? That's the question we have here on Ken Levick Alive. For now, we're live here on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken LaBecca Live on ESPN 1063. It's a big Teddy takeover here. Theo Dorsey filling in for Ken LaVica, and we are presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. You know it, you know it, you know it. It is a Wednesday, June 15th here on Ken LaVica Live. We've talked a lot of NBA finals. We've had Monica McNutt. We've had C.J. Holmes bringing us the insight on what they think will happen for Game 6 tomorrow night. We even had Jeanette Javier making the most ridiculous prediction I think I've heard in the past couple of years, thinking Steph Curry bounces back from an 0-for-9 game where he didn't even shoot 10 three-pointers in Game 5 <laughs> to making 10 three-pointers in Game 6 on the road. What's more ridiculous, Steph Curry doing that or me staying sober for two months? Ooh. That's a tough one. Actually, I would think you staying sober for two months would be a little more ridiculous, only because that's the greatest shooter of all time. He's the greatest. So there's a chance. What you're saying is that there's, there's a, chance. a chance. You're right. Maybe there is a chance. Maybe it's not so ridiculous after all. Stone, what the hell is going on with golf? It is like a civil war, and I really can't put the pieces together. Civil war is a good way to put it, and I think if you asked a lot of guys on the PGA Tour if they felt like what's going on right now is war, they would agree. 
None of them would back down. And I'm going to play a lot of audio from a lot of guys on the tour. Now they're going back and forth. Yeah. And I think if you're a casual, this would help. But for every real golf fan and everybody who tunes in each and every weekend for these tour events that you don't want to see this, you don't like what's happening. You know, we heard, uh, who was it, Brooks Kepka yesterday say that the media is putting a black cloud over the U.S. Open, which has never happened prior, and it's unfortunate. But I just think that what's going on right now in the sport is overall going to help the ratings, going to help the viewership, and we're going to see it rise, and we're going to see a lot more casuals tune in to check out the the U.S. Open this year. And so the, the, the split right now is between the golfers who are chasing the bag and going to play um, for the Saudi-backed Live Golf event and those players that have chosen to do so. Is it more than 17 at this point, or is it still just 17 golfers? The, the number's over 17. Over 17 golfers. They are now uh, suspended from PGA Tour play. And now we have not only those golfers defending their decision to go and play for the Saudi-backed league, we have the PGA Tour golfers who stayed down, who stayed 10 toes down for the PGA Tour, which I don't know why the hell they're so loyal. Uh, they are criticizing the moves of the other guys. Who who do you want to kind of start with here on their position and stance? Because we have some big names, Bryson DeChambeau. We got uh, Rory McIlroy, yeah. John Rahm. Yeah, so I'm going to start with Rory because he's coming off a win at the RBC Canadian oh, Open. It. Just got a big bag. Endorsement, you know, are giving him blank checks at this point because he's finally, or finally finding his form again. So we'll start with Rory. And he had a few things to say that are catching traction. But here's Rory on the state of golf and LIV tour and kind of where he stands on everything. You know, I was speaking to a few people yesterday, and, and one of the comments was anything, any decision that you make in your life that's purely for money usually doesn't end up going the right way. Obviously, money is a deciding factor in a lot of things in this world, but if it's purely for money, it's no not. Um, never seems to, you know, it never seems to go the way you want it to. And here's Rory on kind of what it means to win a golf tournament on the PGA Tour. Putting your names on, you know, putting your name on trophies that have the legends of the game on them. Um, that's really cool, you know, and, and that's something that, that money can't buy and... Uh, you know, legacy, reputation, at the end of the day, you know, that's all you have. You know, you know, you, you strip everything away and, and you're left with what, how you made people feel and, and, and what people thought of you. And, um, you know, that is important to me. I hate all of these sound bites. What? And I'm, and I'm going to continue to play them. Yeah. Here's one from John Rahm dissing the LIV tour and gassing up the PGA Tour. To be honest, part of the format is not really appealing to me. Shotgun three days to me is not a golf tournament, no cut. It's that simple. Uh, I want to play against the best in the world in a format that's been going on for hundreds of years. Right? So that's what I want to see. And yeah, money is great, but when Kelly and I, was, this first thing happened, we, we started talking about it. We are like, will our lifestyle change if I got $400 million? No. It will not change one. Wow, bit. that must be Truth a great be told, lifestyle. I could retire right now with what I've made, and I've lived a very happy life, and not play golf again. So, so you heard Ron say there, if I could retire right now, I would live life very happily. And the next audio I'm going to play is from Michael Collins this morning, golf analyst on First Take. And God, finally, someone's starting to lean on our side. So thank you. Here's Michael Collins. 
it's very easy for the guy who already got a hundred million dollar contract with Nike to then tell other people, hey, why are you just chasing the money? So you're telling all these young dudes, hey, man, you don't need to take the money. Come over here. This is where the competition is. It's all about your legacy. Cool. Legacy is not buying my plane ticket, man. So the last time I checked, I haven't seen Rory making any donations to those young dudes that are out there struggling trying to get on a corn ferry tour. Like, if you want to do that, John Rahm did the same thing. John Rahm's like, hey, man, it's not about the money. It's about the legacy. All right, cool. So you're not taking a paycheck this week. Like, no-cut <laughs> events don't count. All right, cool. So you're never playing a no-cut event anymore? Okay. All right. Cool. Second FedEx Cup event and the Tour Championship. You ain't playing because they not real because it's no-cut event? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Appreciate Michael Collins. Yeah. Uh-huh. Finally, someone coming in on that side. And I want to transition that to John Middlecoff, the host on the 3 and Out podcast on Volume Sports. Now he's teaming up with Draymond Green, teaming up with Colin Coward. And Colin Coward's been blasting a lot of this stuff out. But I think us three would agree that the PGA is losing its personality. Here's John Middlecoff on that exactly. You need stars and you need villains. And let's face it, Bryson DeChambeau was a star and a villain at the same time. Patrick Reed might be a little more golf nerdy, but everyone on the internet knows he's like a cheater. So when you lose those two guys, you can't just have a bunch of choir boys. It's like Moose Johnson told me a long time ago when I interviewed him on the radio. To have a great football team, you need characters that can play, and you need players of character. It's no different in a league. You need some drama. That's good for business. Now, you could argue beside the four majors, the Ryder Cup, and really the players, most tournaments were fragmented and only getting worse. And I'd say, yeah, that might be true. So maybe I'm being nostalgic of what this is. But I think JT said it best. This just sucks. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't agree with him more. And again, I appreciate him. And Michael Collins coming in with the real stuff because I agree. I feel like they're losing its personality. And you talked about choir boys. And I think when I played Rory, when I played John Rahm, they sounded like choir boys. Like they said exactly what we expected them to say. Yeah. And it's funny because those guys, those are the same guys who are taking $100 million paychecks from endorsements, continuously they're winning set. tournaments. They're, they're set. set. It's yeah. easy to say what they're saying. So I don't think we've had somebody come in from the PGA Tour and be a realist about it and respect them for going to get paid, going to get that bag. So it's a little annoying to me. I'll definitely be someone who tunes into all these live tour events. There's one in Oregon this weekend. But, uh, yeah, the U.S. Open's going to come first, and they're still allowing the big dogs to play in those tournaments. So a lot of it doesn't make sense to me right now, and no one's really coming with some real spill yet. How did the London event go? And, like, is, is that style for you as a guy that's a golf aficionado, a guy that actually watches these events, not just the majors, but um, your everyday PGA Tour events, is the live golf event that much different to where people should try to turn their nose up and be snobs about it? I mean, I think so. So you heard John Ron mention the format. It's a shotgun start, and usually they're going to end up doing match play. I, yeah. I believe for more than half of the tournament or half of the tournaments this year, or for their tour at least, match play is basically one on one, and there's a combined score that each player in the leaderboard stacks up against. So what the live's going to do is pair Phil Mickelson up with Bryson DeChambeau, and they'll mic him up. And they'll basically be going one-on-one. So if you don't want to tune in and watch Who's Your Mama, Scotty Scheffler, you don't even know who that is. Right. You got Pat, Matt Fitzpatrick. You got these guys we don't even know that usually take our TV screen up 
at a U.S. Open, at a big PJ Tour event. We don't want to watch that. You guys don't want to watch that. You don't even know who they are. So I think that's what Liv presents, giving us a different side of things, putting the stars in our face, making them make, basically making them go one-on-one. So for a casual like me, I'd honestly say I'm probably a little more than a golf casual, and the Live Tour has my attention because they're going to try to do the things that we've been asking for, the favorable mm-hmm. changes yeah. we've wanted to make to the tour, mm-hmm. they're going to make and put it right in front of our face. Now, they don't have the TV rights. A lot of it's going to be streamed on YouTube, YouTube TV, and a lot of us don't have that, so that's unfortunate, but it's going to take some time. Yeah. Jeanette, for you, uh, how much golf do you typically take in? Is it none? No. When I worked at the PGA Tour, golf was my life, but ever since then, no. Okay, so for you, does... I watched the majors, but that's pretty much it. I was going to say, what about the yeah, majors? And the, and the Phoenix-based Open. I right. love that event. Oh, I mean, it's the best. Yes, I love that event. So for you, does anything about this Live Golf event um, entice you at all? I love it. I personally love it because the PGA Tour literally thinks they're untouchable. Yeah. They think, if, of course, because all these players are in independent contracts, they knew that they were, a, I'm going to compare them to a league. They were the only league in town where these boys could make money, where these players could actually make money. Yeah. Now this Live tournaments here like, oh no, here's a new format. For more money. Here's a bigger bag that yeah. y'all want. And we're going to introduce a different culturally new way, form, format to yeah. play the game. So they're bringing in a whole new audience and redirecting people's attention spans yeah. to the game of golf. And it's kind of changing the way golf is going to be consumed. I love what the Live Tournament is doing to the culture of golf. This is how I know that the people on the side that are trying to hold the water for and try and back the PGA Tour and even the golfers right now that are speaking out on it, this is how I know they're wrong. And it'll probably be proven out to be wrong in the long run. Um, Generally, when you're on the wrong side of the argument, you keep changing what it is you're arguing about. When John Rahm brought it up, now, it's no longer about all of the um, socioeconomic issues, human rights violations, or any of that. Remember, that was all the hoopla early on. The Saudi-backed money. The Saudi-backed money, all of that. Remember, that was all people could talk about because they thought that would be the lightning rod that would stop this thing from um, gaining traction. Now, they're trying to come at the actual legitimacy of the sport that they're playing. And the format as well. The format, and right. Jeanette, you talked about the bag, right? So this is, this is a really funny stat for you. So the purse last year at the U.S. Open, the same event, was $2.25 million for any tournament on the Live Tour, whether they're in Kansas City, Boho in Maryland, or in New York. Each first place prize is $5 million minimum. No. First place. First place. So they don't even, the second, or that doesn't include the second or third person. I would almost say. That's insane. From what I've seen so far, third place on an LV Tour event is making as much as a major winner would. That's make. what I was just going to say. Place. How is the U.S. Open, one of the four majors, that low of a level compared to something on the Live Tournament? Yeah, and there was a statistic I saw that one season spent on the Live Tour for Dustin Johnson financially would compare to three seasons on the PGA Tour for him. And less time golfing. And more time being able to kick it with the fam, right? Less. At, bingo. You said it. You led me right into an audio I want to play of Bryson DeChambeau talking about how he gets to spend more time on family and less time on golf. Here's Bryson. It was a business decision, first and foremost, and um, that's all there was to it. It's given me a lot more opportunity outside of the game of golf and given me more time with my family and my future family. So for me, that was a decision. Was the business decision basically money-driven? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, there was a lot of financials to it and a lot of time as well. So I get to have a, a life outside of the game of golf as well. You want to play on the PJ Tour again? I would love to. It would be an honor. If you made a business decision that gives you more free time, 
why, why do you want to play on the PGA Tour? Because I want to play where people can see entertainment, great entertainment. I'm going to deliver that anywhere I'm at. Are you concerned about your legacy with this move? I think I'll have a new legacy. Mm. What do you think that'll be? Whatever it is. <laughs> there is a real possibility. You could not play on the PGA Tour ever again. Okay. H have you settled that with yourself? Are you, it's, are you it's okay? It's not my decision to make. But if that happens? That's not my decision to make. That's someone else's decision that's making that for me. I would love to play the Memorial. I would love to play on Palmer. I would love to play PGA Tour events when they would allow me to. This is amazing. It's reminding me of wrestling, of when a gimmick is turning into the heel yeah. of just the organization. Yeah. Like, this is NWO stuff that's going on right now. Totally. I to love it. Totally. And we heard John Middlecoff, when I played his audio earlier, that he's a villain and a hero at the same time. And he just wants to be out there entertaining. He wants more free time for himself, more time for his family, and at the same time, have the opportunity to be making more money. Yeah, well, I want to know what people think about this, um, the divide between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf event and the golfers that have decided to secede from the PGA Tour. 888-760-3776. You can call us here or tweet at me at TV. Again, the number is 888-760-3776. We've got Devin in Boca. Devin in Boca joining Ken Levick alive here with Theo taking over the seat. Devin, are you, you seem like you might be a guy that's maybe leaning on the side of the Live Golf event, right? Nah, hell no. <laughs> Check this out. What's up, Devin? I'm gonna break this. I'm gonna break this down for you guys, real simple. If you're gonna make a decision based on money, you make a decision based on money, and you come out there and you say straight up, guys, I got an offer that I can't refuse. Anybody who's working in a certain job, if another job offers you a higher percentage of pay, and all the criteria that you want to be met is met, 99.9% of people is gonna take it. Now. People are making it seem like the PGA Tour is just supposed to sit back and accept this. Now, you guys mentioned um, McElroy and Ram and those guys sounding like choir boys. But if they decide that they want to play on the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour is good for them, their legacy and all that. They have to defend their side. They can't just sit there and be like, okay, I'm happy that these guys know. If I believe in the PGA Tour, I have to stand with the PGA Tour and defend the PGA Tour. And when you look at it... The answers that McElroy and Ram is given is more transparent than what Phil Mickelson and DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson is given because they're trying to say that they're trying to get leverage with the PGA Tour. Now, here's where I'm going to burst their bubble. Mm. The guys that Michael Collins was talking about on the lower level is right. Michael Collins is so right. The PGA Tour has to do a better job with the whole qualifying because guys don't make no money. Like right. Michael Collins was saying on a show last night, you might spend like six, seven thousand $7,000 to go to Venezuela and play on the Con Ferry Tour, and you might not even make anything. So the lower-level guys, yes, if the live is giving them money, they can go. But the higher-level guys, like DeChambeau and, Just and Johnson, they rip the rewards of the PGA Tiger Woods just got $100 million, whatever, bonus from the PGA Tour, and he didn't even play for a whole year. So their argument that they're trying to make leverage, make leverage for who? If you wanted to make leverage for the younger guys, do like what um, um, Justin Thomas did when that guy played in the tournament. He wrote him a check. So don't use the leverage so, of, the, of the guy who is not making money to say that you're going to create leverage for yourself. No, nah, you're being... No, go ahead. But Bryson said it specifically there. He said, I get to... Well, he didn't say make more money, but also spend less time. So if I could offer you a job where you can do the same thing you're doing, but work less, make more, have more time for your family, you're saying that's an indefensible uh, position to take? No, hell no. I would take it too. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Tell, tell, tell um, Bryson, remember, when you play on the PGA Tour, you're an independent, independent contractor. You don't have to play every tournament. You could skip and choose which tournament you want to play. 
they don't the PGA taught us that force you. You have to play a certain amount of tournaments to qualify for the FedEx Cup. Yeah. Is, but you don't have to play every tournament. So he's talking about making more so it's the same thing I'm saying to you. Don't come out and tell us you want to spend more time with your family. Just tell us, yo, this guy gave me a bag. I yeah. couldn't refuse it. That's <laughs> what I can't. I can't argue with that. And thank you uh, again for the call, Devin. I can't argue with that. You're right. I mean, they are doing it for the bag, but also I think for the time off. And Stone, you had a point there to make on it. Yeah, I, I, and I also wanted to ask Devin, but it, I mean, it's no problem. I can ask you guys the same thing. Bryson also said the entertainment factor. Like there are guys on tour, like a Brooks Kepka, mm-hmm. like a Dustin Johnson, like a Bryson DeChambeau, like a Phil who would rather participate in the match against Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady than go to Idaho and compete against a weak field on the PGA Tour if some of the big dogs aren't playing. Like, there's not a lot of, I don't for know. For a purse it. of $2 million. Yeah. For, not even. The, 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 the tournament in Idaho, you could probably walk away with an $870,000 bag when Bryson now is going to compete for $5 million in the same state. On a platform where it's way more entertaining, where there's way more opportunity to grow your brand, to talk crap, to do these things. So I don't know. It's apples and oranges. But if you're going to stick with PGA, and if you were with the PGA from the beginning, you're going to stick with them. It's just how it's going to go here. Yep. Yeah. I, I get why the people that are sticking down with the PGA Tour are doing so. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, we know why these guys are leaving. And it's to chase the bag because it's all about the moolah, especially here on Ken LaVica Live. For Stone LeBanowitz and Jeanette Javier, I'm Theo Dorsey. We're live here on ESPN 106.3, and we'll be right back. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. And we're presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA sport. Every great sports talk show has a moment in time in every single episode where they talk about football. For some reason, usually not a good reason, they jam a football segment in for, you know, just the sake of getting some ratings, right? So we're going to do that here on Ken LaVica Live again. Big Teddy Takeover, Theo Dorsey in with Jeanette Javier and Stone Labanowitz. Stone, you said you were watching First Take earlier. What did you see? So I'm prepping for the show. I'm in the studio a little earlier, and I see come across the TV on Get Up with Mike Greenberg and Rob Ninkovich. Here was the headline. Do the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl chances increase if Dak scrambles more? <laughs> wow. Now, now I double-taked, and I immediately grabbed the remote and unmuted it and turned it up, and I just couldn't believe that that was the conversation being had. Ridiculous. Do the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl and chances increase if Dak scrambles more? Question mark. And they were getting into a heated debate, talking about scramble numbers, and I was just like thinking in my head, who the hell wants to hear this? Well, you know what? That's going to lead us into our obligatory football segment here on Ken LaVica Live. We're going to take the lead from first take and take it over from here. So we're going to go, how about uh, maybe we just throw something out there. We're going to list our top three scrambling quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Is Let's cool? do it. All right, good, good. Uh, Stone, you want to lead us off? I'll take it. I'll, I'll lead us off right here. At number, number three. At, at number three, Aaron Rodgers. Oh. He battled with Patty Mahomes in this three spot, but I think Aaron's ability to expand Ten plays combined with the arm strength. Okay. I'm going to go Aaron. I like He's shown us he could do it longer than Patty has. So sorry about it, Patty. Number two, Kyler Murray. Mm. He runs like a disgruntled toddler who just <laughs> stole the carrot from his mom. <laughs> really he's though. the fastest scrambler. And he's also got a really strong arm and can make plays down the field with his legs. At number one, big trust. Big trust. Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's just nobody better at scrambling and making stuff out of nothing than that guy. So there is my three top top scrambling quarterbacks in the NFL. I'll give you my three real quick here. Easily number three, Daniel Jones when there's defenders in his way. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> Unless there's an air in front of him and he trips over it. I mean, Daniel Jones, the number three scrambling quarterback in the league. Very fast guy right there. Number two, I got to agree with you, but I'm going to go Josh Allen anyways to keep the white guy train rolling. Let's two go. white quarterbacks in the top three scrambling and number three, Lamar Jackson. Jeanette, your so top three. So you guys were talking about scrambling quarterbacks in the pocket. I was thinking about scrambling them eggs. Man, let's see which quarterback what? can scramble those eggs. Y'all mentioned Josh Allen. I think number three Josh Allen would scramble those eggs pretty well. Maybe throw a mimosa. <laughs> Maybe make a Bloody Mary there, too. So Josh Allen coming through for all three of us. Number two, Matt Stafford. He can scramble eggs? Yeah, I think he can scramble eggs. And he turn it into a party. He seems like a very grateful, humble man. He's going to be exactly make everybody super satisfied with it. And number one, Joe Burrow. Because I turn it into a date. I'll then shout out to Tom Brady. Wouldn't scramble X because it wouldn't taste good because he don't eat right. You're right. You throw some <laughs> avocado in there. We might make it fun for you. That's all. That's how we're going to end it here on Ken Levick Alive. Jeanette scrambling eggs. Me and Stone running away from our picks here on Ken Levick Alive. We've been live here on ESPN 106.3.